Hello everybody. Welcome back to the Tapped In Beercast. I'm Dave Morales and I am excited to be back in the saddle to bring you today's episode given all that we've been through. I'm hoping that I can get back into the swing of these, albeit in a new way for now. Today I'd like to introduce you to the couple behind the highly anticipated and soon to be actualized Otherlands beer in the Sunnyland neighborhood. Carolina Lobro and Ben Howe have traveled near and far to land here in the ham. I'm excited for them, and I think you will be too. A couple of administrative notes, though, first. This chat was scheduled to happen right as COVID took over our lives. We decided not to record at that time as we felt it would just be a downer for a lot of a lot of things. I mean, it would be full of unknowns, right? Even more so than now. But we finally ponied up last week and did the virtual chat, which introduced a few challenges. This was high-tech to low-tech, or low-tech to high-tech. In order to have both of them on, a first, we just used our laptops, which means all the fidgeting, opening and filling of beers, and anything else happening in the room is all in there. Keeping it real, folks. I'm happy enough with the audio, though, and the chat itself was pretty epic and super fun. So, ladies and gentlemen, Ben and Carolina, enjoy. Thanks for doing this, first and foremost. Um, welcome to the very first Tapped In virtual pod chat. Um, this is kind of a multifaceted first because, uh, I mean, we are chatting on Zoom, for one, and there's two of you, which is the first time I've ever had two people on at the same time. So, so thanks for agreeing to do it. Yeah. And it makes sense. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And thanks for kind of sticking it out with us and um, finding a way to make this happen. So that's awesome. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for, yeah. I mean, like, so we should give a little bit of backstory. We, um, we met uh, what a couple months ago, two and a half months ago, something like that. Um, and uh, mid-March, and it being like early early June right now, uh, phase two was just uh, was just uh, okayed like what, today, right? Or yesterday? Yesterday. But way back then in the dark ages, uh, or not so dark ages, when you could still kind of go around, but you had to be careful and you were touching people's elbows for the first time ever. Um, we decided not to do this. We were going to we were going to sit down then. And uh, and we agreed that things were just kind of spiraling down, like morale wise, and uh, and just kind of reality wise, and every everything was just kind of hitting everybody at that point. And so we just decided it was going to be a downer. And it was the right call. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think for sure. For sure. <laughs> In hindsight, uh, because now you know we're doing it two and a half months later, and things are still really weird. But things are starting to kind of be on the on the upswing, and and you guys are going to be opening soon. So, so plus, that is exciting. Plus, we would have sounded like fools if we had done this podcast and been like, "Oh, and we're opening up in just a couple weeks." Yeah, um, yeah. I think there's a lot of that, though. You know, people are like, "Okay, so when we recorded this, like, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and and there's a lot of." So we recorded this before everything happens. So that's why we don't mention it. And everybody sounds like they're living a normal life. <laughs> so I think people, I think people get that, but, but it was worth explaining to, you know, all 20 people that are going to listen to this, that, that this is, this is what's going on. <laughs> the people need context. <laughs> yeah. 
So we should also mention who you are. Um, you are together Other Lands Brewing, which is going to be uh, on Humboldt in the Sunnyland neighborhood, which is very convenient for me considering I live on Grant Street. Um, so very easy. It takes me like, it's either a five minute, well, probably like a 10 minute walk, five minute drive or a 20 minute crawl. So, so perfect. Yeah, looking forward to it. It's all uphill, though, man. That's 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 a bitch. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) so uh, so you are Carolina Lobro and Ben Howe. Again, thanks. Otherlands Brewing, and um, Uh, Dave. Can I interrupt just for one second? Sure. It's actually it's. I know this is not the most straightforward name. We could have probably picked a better one, Uh, but it's Otherlands Beer, and I don't know if that. Oh, okay. No, that makes a difference. Yeah. Make a difference? Okay. We, yeah, we do brew, though, yeah. too. <laughs> we don't just, we don't just drink beer. We, we do sometimes make it. Yeah. Nice. All right. Otherlands beer. That's good, because I would have put Otherlands Brewery in the, all of the descriptions and hashtags and all the, that stuff that I don't understand anyway. We decided um, to make it really difficult, so... <laughs> My apologies. Um, I did my due diligence uh, a couple, well, some of it a couple months ago, and then uh, and then just went back and actually wrote out these questions uh, last week. Once I realized that, oh, hey, this is actually happening now. So, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, you started out on the East Coast, and um, and I know that both of you were in Portland for a while, right? You. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I thought. So I guess the big question is all the way from the East Coast to the West Coast, why Bellingham and why Sunnyland in particular? You want to tackle it? Good question. So I think, I'm, I mean, I'm probably the reason that we ended up here. Uh, ben and I met out in Boston. We were both working at Cambridge Brewing Company was it five or six, six years ago now. Six years ago. Six years ago now. And um, after a couple of years of living out there and then uh, doing our own thing for a little while, uh, Ben traveling and working in Denmark and in other parts of Europe and me doing some traveling and working on my own, uh, I really wanted to come back to the West Coast. I I missed it a lot. I missed my family. I missed um, kind of the, just the feeling of of this place. And uh, somehow I managed to convince Ben to come out here and join me. And we landed in Portland uh, for a number of years, partially because I had some friends that were living there and I'd never lived in Portland before. I went to school in Bellingham and uh, lived here for a couple of years. Uh, This is actually the third time that I'm personally moving back to Bellingham. (laughs) So I I know. (laughs) I do. I really enjoy the process of moving back here. You so, need a beer name should be like third times the charm or something like third, that. Third times the charm would be definitely yeah. good. I'm really yeah. unpacking this time. <laughs> so we started looking uh, for a place while we we're still living in Portland that would really kind of fit this project that that we had um, kind of crafted together. And <clears throat> we looked around kind of the Portland area and we looked around kind of where my family is from, uh, the Everett Marysville area. So, so we just, we looked at a bunch of places and at one point, I think we came back up to Bellingham and it just, it, it felt like home and it felt like, uh, the community had, the beer community had grown tremendously from when I was in college and when I was living here. 
by the time I, I think the last time I moved away, it was 2013. Uh, so there was, uh, you know, Boundary Bay was still a you know, community, um, community staple and then other places kind of starting to spring up. And uh, it, it really felt kind of like the right place for our project. Uh, so Ben and I came up here a number of times and he'd actually visited a few years before because I wanted to share this place with him. And uh, we came up and just started kind of talking to folks in, in the industry and getting their feel for what was happening in the beer community here in Bellingham, like where there might be uh, potentially space for uh, a project like what we were thinking of and what their thoughts Faces are hard to find, yeah. Faces are totally hard to find. Um, and, you know, I'll kind of let Ben talk a little bit about why we actually ended up deciding to place our stake here. Uh, but generally speaking, that's how we, that's kind of how we ended up here. And Bellingham just feels like a place that cares about the craft beer industry. It cares about the community. Uh, it's really interested in trying new and different things. Um, there's a, a, a big focus on supporting you know, local businesses and, and the, and the place that we're in. And, and so it just felt like a really nice spot to, to be able to build this project. Yeah. Um, at, at the risk of, uh, of throwing him under the bus, uh, a, a bit of the reason we're here, uh, or decided on it. So we basically came up on this one trip, um, to, to check out Bellingham some more and hang out there and do a little more research. And we started talking to some friends and we decided we were going to talk to James over at structures because I had it was weird I, I met him when I was working at Wayfinder he came in and uh, we both knew of each other in a weird way because um, he knew of my project enlightenment on the east coast um, I knew of of his working at Otter Creek and so we just kind of nerded out for a while about New England and, and that brewing scene and so we came up here we're like oh we got to talk to James like drop in say hello and bring him some beer and we just had a great conversation and told him more about our project and what we wanted to do and he had a really great take on the Bellingham beer scene. He said, this is a city that is uh, really happy to be known as a great brewing city now. Like, there's so many great breweries here. It's it's excited that people are coming here for the beer, that it's known as this, like, little mecca increasingly for just awesome beer. And said, if, if you're doing something different, and from what our pro we described our project to him, it sounded like it was something different. Um, he's like, that that's, you're going to fit in. Like, come join the tapestry bring your own little piece, do something that's not the exact same thing as everyone else, but something that can, you know, fit in and be celebrated as well. And that's people, people will be happy for that. The community will be happy for that. And so he also told us it was easy to find space and that was clearly a lie, but uh, yeah. <laughs> well, he, yeah. He lucked out with that space that the space that he's got is great. And your space, I, I like your space a lot. I mean, I was looking, my uh, buddy and I were looking to start a brewery and, Finding a space was the most difficult part. And this is yeah. before there were like already 19 breweries in town. Yeah. Uh, we hugely lucked out. I think we really lucked we, out. We, we spent quite a while looking at some other spaces that were like, I could work uh, and like hemming and hawing and like trying to figure it out with planning. And then actually we were, we were talking with, um, I think it was Jack at Aslan who said, oh, you know, if you're looking for a house or something like that, you should talk to this, this gentleman, uh, Joe Hoppus, and he helped me find my house. And we reached out to him, and within a day, he's like, well, we, I don't know of any commercial spaces, but I do know this one guy, you know, he's, he's starting a, a he's a, a furniture maker, and he's building a building, and uh, I know he's looking for a couple tenants, but yeah, it's probably too small. You should talk to him anyways. They're really nice people. 
Mm-hmm. And we started talking to them and within a couple of days, we're like, yes, this is perfect. This is absolutely yeah. perfect. We are commuting pretty frequently. And I remember walking into the space and it was just, um, just kind of the, the wood structure was up as it was getting built. And the space just felt right in that really wonderful way that sometimes you come across something in your life and it feels like all the pieces are falling together because that little piece finally fit. Yeah. And, and it's it, good to not force it, you know, for it to not feel forced. And it gives you that sure, sense totally. of ownership and pride. And you know, you're like, you know, I, I got it. You know. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. So I do think that part was pretty lucky. We're incredibly uh, excited uh, to be in the Sunnyland neighborhood. We uh, are thrilled um, with our neighbors and it's just such a treat to be next to Home Skillet in particular. Um, Kirby and Tina have been so helpful and so lovely and they just come by and they make our day every day when we're out there working. They brought us uh, dessert today. They brought like, us just, dessert. Here <laughs> nice. Kirby taught me how to put down the, the wood flooring in our cafe, like supervise us, showed us how to draw the lines and just lent us tools and has given us advice and just, they've been just incredibly gracious, kind neighbors. And then everyone around us is talented. Like we're yeah. surrounded by carpenters and knife makers and all, all kinds of just like, really interesting, talented people. And it's, and it's other, awesome. And other breweries too, which is great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, oh, you guys, the twin sisters are, oh, they, fantastic. yeah, they become fun neighborhood friends. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember you telling me how helpful they were last time. So, so that part was lucky too, because we, you know, we couldn't have picked where this building was being built and it just happened to fit exactly what we needed. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Sunnyland is going to be very excited. So I know that there's there's going to be some overlap. Again, this is the first time that I've I've had two people on, so um, kind of have to bounce back and forth. But um, you mentioned Cambridge Brewing earlier, or was it while we were talking earlier? It might have been while we were talking earlier, earlier. Yeah, yeah, earlier, earlier. But uh, Ben, let's dig into your brewing background. So you worked at Cambridge Brewing, uh, which is in Cambridge, uh, Mass. For, yeah, yeah. Our fair city, as uh, the uh, <laughs> as, as car talk guys always would say, um, and uh, and I worked. I looked at uh, I looked around on their website just to kind of see what what it was all about, mm-hmm. and um, and it seems like there's. I, w- I was impressed by the the variety uh, of beers that are offered there. Um, it's clearly probably, or I'm guessing that it was probably a, an an early introduction into what the joys of European beers uh, could be. So after you brewed there, then you uh, branched out and you opened uh, Enlightenment. So after Enlightenment, you traveled quite a bit, uh, even brewing in Denmark, and then and then made your way on the, onto this side of the country. So just, I guess, talk a bit about that progression and and how that started there at home on the East Coast how you made it to Denmark, how you made it to Portland, and then here. I mean, and we can start at the very beginning. Like, did you start as a home brewer or did you just yeah. launch right into professional brewing? Because some no, people do that. I was home brewing in college um, uh, and playing in a band and finishing up college, getting a degree in history. And uh, I realized kind of towards the end, uh, getting ready to graduate, that the, uh, the history firms probably weren't going to be hiring when I graduated. And I spent a lot of time playing music and a lot of time brewing beer. And I love both of them. Sure. Um, and then I started thinking like, this has to be a career. Like, th- like people do this for a living. Like I-, I go to breweries, people work there. Like, and so I started sending a bunch of emails 
uh, and messages out to breweries, including the Cambridge Brewing. Um, and, uh, you know, no one was hiring, no one wanted an intern. Uh, but Will Myers at Cambridge Brewing Company, who would eventually become my mentor, said, oh, I'll keep your resume on file. You know, great. You know, if I ever have an opening. And so then I moved back to Western Massachusetts um, and was interning at a place I was bussing tables at, Northampton Brewery, which is an old uh, brew pub from like, uh, started in the late 80s. Just awesome place, wonderful people. Um, I got an email from Will Myers saying, hey, I have a position now. Uh, if you want to deliver kegs and fill kegs and chop pumpkins and just, you know, get your foot in the door. like Feel the glamour. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I got that gig and uh, moved back to Boston. And uh, it, I, about four months in, it was just like, I love this. I don't want to do anything else. This is, this is the best job I've ever had. And I can't imagine doing anything else. This is so much fun. Um, and the really great thing about working at Cambridge Brewing is the whole place is, is uh, very much like a family. Like the people who work there, front of house, back of house, are excellent. They, they hire people who stay around for a long time, who uh, make the place feel like a family, uh, who hang out all the time outside of work. Um, I could talk forever about how much I love Cambridge Brewing, but what ended up happening with their uh, brewing-wise was uh, Will very much became my mentor and uh, kind of took me under his wing and uh, brought me into the brew house. And uh, Megan Parisi, who was uh, brewing there at the time as well, she took me into the cellar and taught me how to clean tanks and transfer beer and all of that. And I just got this wonderful crash course in doing all these things. And about three years in, I became arrogant enough to think, oh, like I have, I have some basic understanding of brewing. I was home brewing the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, I should start my own place. Like not just because I have anything to offer the world, but someone had given me a bottle of Deus, the uh, beer de champagne from Belgium. I had never had anything like it before. It blew my mind. And it was 40 bucks. And I thought, I can make this. And I just sell for 20 bucks, which <laughs> I, I like to think I am a better businessman now than then. But so I, I, set, I set to doing this. I was like, okay, what, what do I need to do? And I, I found a barrel and a half system and I found a 900 square foot garage and uh, borrowed some money from a couple of friends and family and put about two years of bartending wages because I was bartending and waiting at the same time into it and uh, opened this place and never paid myself and just made beer to champagne and a bunch of saisons because it turns out people want to buy your saison for $10 more than they want to buy your $20 champagne. Yeah. Um, so I did that for about two years. Um, just, and kept working at Cambridge Brewing Company as a bartender because well, um, the whole time you were at, you were doing enlightenment, you were still at uh, Cambridge. Yes. They, they were incredibly uh, generous to say, Oh yeah, you can, you can stay on three shifts a week and keep doing this two or three days and be up at the brewery in Lowell. And then I would be, um, then I would just be working at CBC and trying to run a business. And then after about two years, I was like, this is, this is crazy. I, I can't, I can't make enough money because of my small size to, to buy a bigger system. And I met, um, Chris to catch from idle hands who also was on a very small system and he was making uh, a lot of old school Belgian beers, which are really nice. But he, he hadn't been brewing professionally before that. Um, he was an engineer. And he said, listen, like I'm having trouble doing all this. You're having trouble doing all this. What if we pulled our resources together, bought a bigger system, and you brew, I'll run the business. But we'll keep our separate brands. And that's what we ended up doing for another two years, um, which was great. So I, I made Chris's beer, and I made my beer, and I got to experiment a lot. And uh, 
just have more resources and didn't have to worry about delivering the beer and didn't have to worry about keeping the books and skills that I definitely did not develop very well when I was running Enlightenment by myself. Right. Um, and then what happened? And then <laughs> you win. Uh, oh, wait, there's more. There's way more. There's, <laughs> there's a dark turn. Uh, Steve Wynn of Wynn Resorts bought our building because they decided that they wanted to open a uh, massive sprawling casino in Everett, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston. And uh, yeah, they they didn't give us a whole lot of notice. But we found out that we had to leave rather suddenly. Um, and Chris hadn't found a new space yet. And we had a big con conversation about he wanted to, hey, I want to get a 15 barrel system and I want to do production and my goal at the time was, hey, I, I want to eventually have a group up. Like, I want to go back to the way that CBC was of breaking bread with the people that I make beer for, having beers with them. Like, I, I love that environment. Yeah. Um, and right that same week, I got an email from my friend Anders Kissmeyer, who was a brewer I had met through CBC. Uh, he had, um, he's a, a Danish master brewer who was friends with Will, uh, my mentor, and he had come. He had come over, and he had brewed a beer with me at Enlightenment together. We brewed a uh, Nordic saison, and um, he sent an email saying, "Hey, do you know anyone who wants to work in rural Denmark at this little brewery? Uh, you know, pass on their contact info to me." And everything just seemed to make sense. Yeah. For a long time, I thought, "God, I wish I could go to Europe and intern. Why do Belgian beers in Belgium taste different than they do here? Why do German beers there taste different? I don't. There's got to be something more than." than just the terroir of it. Like we're doing the things that, that they tell us to do. We're, we're reading their books. Like what, why can't we make them taste that way? Um, and so then this kind of fell into my lap and I applied and got the job and uh, decided to move a continent away. And that, that was a life changing experience. Yeah. Um, and it just fell. Like I loved lager beer before that. And we were making lager beer at, uh, at um, idle hands, but, that, that changed, especially a, a trip to Franconia when I was over there. Um, when I was working in Denmark, I would basically work, uh, they have a 35 hour work week. And I Sounds was nice. like, I'm going to work the hours you need to work, which is like 50 or 60. And, uh, but you give me <laughs> long weekends once a month. So I would take a long weekend and go on a trip. And, uh, I took like a big Danish vacation, um, my first summer there and, uh, just went to Franconia and just had my mind blown by yeah. how the beers were, how different they were than everything else. Like we were, we were in Bavaria for a long time and just had the best lager beer I'd ever had. And then we went to Franconia and it was, it was like a reset. I just, I couldn't believe that people made beer like that. Um, and so, yeah, that was, <laughs> I, I'm just kind of rambling. Sorry, but it's, no, that's uh, all right. This is totally an aside and, uh, we can jump back in for a second, but one of the ideas for our project when we first got going was that uh, it would be a place called chickens as friends and it would be out in the country and we would make one beer and like two sandwiches or something. And we'd have like two guest rooms and you could come up and you could just get that one beer. Yeah. And it, eventually we decided that that was uh, probably not going to work. As <laughs> so that was a thing. <laughs> I don't know. Or, or Val's done it. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't have to go to the SBA. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Carolina, let's let's talk about you for a minute. Um, so, you went like you mentioned, you went to school here and uh, learned while you drank, correct? Right, that's how you go to college. Right? Sure. Um, were you, were you a home brewer as well? No, I've always just been an enthusiast, and I think I always liked beer. I like the taste. Um, I started drinking uh, craft beer specifically while 
I was going to school here in Bellingham and I was in the service industry. Uh, I was a server and a bartender and uh, I just fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. I felt like this is such an interesting culture. Um, I felt like I, you know, could participate in it. And it was, it was actually still kind of at the time when there wasn't a ton of women, at least uh, to me that were like visibly into craft beer, all of my girlfriends, they were into wine, they were into cocktails, um, maybe like one or two of them drank beer. It certainly wasn't something that the women in my family drank. And so it felt kind of like fun and special to be, you know, um, part of that, that kind of a crowd and being interested in those things. And so I really loved craft beer. And when I moved out to Boston to go to school, more school, uh, <laughs> I was looking for a job in service again. And I found Cambridge Brewing Company. Uh, I hadn't had a chance to work at a brewery. I tried for a long time. I, I remember trying to work at, um, at Boundary Bay for a while. Um, and that just kind of never panned out. So I was super excited to see that Cambridge Brewing Company was hiring. And uh, it was my, I came over there and I felt like I really understood like the ins and out of craft beer. You know, I drank IPAs, I um, drank Scotch ales and all these things. And it was the first time that I ever had a Saison. It was the first time I ever had uh, a barley wine, a sour ale, um, and I honestly, in the beginning, I thought all the beers like were bad because I couldn't <laughs> taste them. Like right. I, like they weren't, like they weren't just, um, they weren't what I expected. And I didn't understand what to expect. I just, I never had beers that were that soft and I hadn't had those styles before either. Um, and I wasn't familiar with European styles. So uh, basically, that's to say, I I loved working at Cambridge Brewing Company. Um, that's where I met Ben. So at the time, worked out. Yeah. It worked out really well. Um, he <laughs> he actually um, he was one of the folks that uh, helped me with my Cicerone test. If I recall, I mean, God, when we spoke last, outside of like just earlier this afternoon for two minutes, um, God, it seems like a year ago at this point. But if if I recall right, you you kind of bring the foundation of, of like the business end of things. And, uh, and I remember you were talking a lot about the design of what other lands is going to be as, as a fan of, uh, of pubs and Belgian and German bars in particular, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for the idea behind Overlands. Um, how did you settle on the design and what do you see as your role now and moving forward? Sure. Um, great question. So I think Ben and I uh, are like toxically codependent when it comes to making decisions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's critical, of, though. I mean, if you're going to be business partners and partners, like you, you got to. One of our very good, yeah, one of our very good friends who was our old roommate. She's like, you guys just need to make a fucking decision. Like, stop asking each other what the other one thinks. Just, like, one of you pick it and go for it. Uh, so Other Lands really, in terms of the way it felt, we knew it wanted to feel like CBC. We knew it wanted to have that family feeling. We wanted it to be cozy. We wanted it to be have a sense of space where people come together to gather and build relationships and have excellent beer, excellent food, too. I think CBC is one of the first places I ever worked at that, well, 
that had really, really good food, but was also I ever been where that was a brewery that had excellent food. So we yeah. knew we wanted to have those pieces. And then in terms of the way it looked, we were very intentional that we wanted it to look and feel um, very cozy, kind of soft. We wanted it to be beautiful. We wanted it to feel a little bit like the cafes that we'd been to in Europe together when we'd uh, gone to Belgium and we'd gone to a lot of different beer bars and places. Uh, we love that kind of old world look. Um, and, and I think that was something that we both really agreed on. Uh, the evolution of it is still happening. It's not totally done yet. Like we also want it to be feel, filled with like strange and interesting things like art from our friends and art from the community and uh, plants and I don't know, whatever else kind of comes to mind that we might want to have in that space. But we wanted it to feel kind of like the way that it, when you go over to your friend's house and you're hanging out inside and it's like very cozy and warm and inviting. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where that big design and that piece of it came from. I, I love American craft beer culture and I love American beer. Um, and there's lots of breweries that I really love that are very into the industrial feel. We mm -hmm. felt we want to be on the opposite end of that spectrum. Like, right. like you're saying a lot of the, the pubs and little cafes and stuff in Belgium that we really love, but also like the little guest houses that are attached to little German breweries that, Oh, you go there, the family lives there. You feel like someone is welcoming you into their living room. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's a big part of what we wanted to capture. Hey, this is a, a lived in cozy place, not a factory where beer is made mm -hmm. that we've also invited you to hang out at a table at. So we say it's guest house chic. It's not yeah. a guest house. But. Yeah, there you go. And I think Dave, like to answer the other part of your question, I, I have a long history of working in, in different uh, fields. I worked in international development for a while. I did nonprofit work. I, so there's, there's been a lot of kind of twists and turns um, that I've really enjoyed. And what I've come to really appreciate about working on this project with Ben and creating this space is that this is one of the first times I think in a very long time where I'm able to put a ton of creativity into a project. And that has been a huge amount of fun. Like I haven't felt this creative, I think, since college. Uh, and that's been incredibly exciting. And I think that's another thing that I'm very much looking forward to is continuing to be able to have that creative space in a way that I definitely didn't expect. Nice. Very nice. Well, let's move on to what you guys are going to be uh, going to be hawking at this uh, at this amazing space, uh, the beers. So thank you for this is the um, what was the name of it again? Illumination. Illumination. So this is the Hoppy Saison. Uh, um, and you guys are going to be focusing on farmhouse beers like Saisons and stuff like that. And uh, European lagers, correct? Yep. Yeah. Along with some of the more ubiquitous Pacific Northwest offerings, I presume, or are you guys just going to be sticking to your guns and, and doing this? We're, so we've talked about it as being rustic lagers and farmhouse ales, and then we'll always have an IPA or a pale ale as well. Um, very much inspired by some of my favorite beers from New England, too. Mm -hmm. like just, nice. Yeah. We, we, don't get me wrong. I, I love, we both love drinking IPAs and pale ales. Mm -hmm. Just, um, we just, I like drinking a lot of them. So we yeah. like them. Seeing it, So it's early June right now. It's mm -hmm. June. I don't even know what day it is. Sixth, seventh. I think, I think it's the sixth. I don't know. Yeah. Eighth. I think it's the sixth. It's the sixth. <laughs> 
You're right. What's two days between friends? I don't even remember what I said. Anyway, it's early June. And uh, and as we may or may not have mentioned uh, before we were recording, but uh, phase two just got approved the other day, which means restaurants can be at uh, 50%, I believe. And so you guys are finally going to get to open. And so you're going to be opening uh, in mid-June. And I am going to do my damnedest to make sure that this gets out um, at least a few days before you open. Um, so considering that's that's happening, um, what are you going to be offering? Just, I guess, talk a bit about what kind of beers and what kind of food you're going to be offering right out of the gate. And then uh, maybe any nuggets uh, that you'd like to mention that, that might be coming down the pipe. Do you want to hit this or should I? <clears throat> See, I told you we have a hard time with decision making. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think what we would like to start out with um, is we're we're really excited to have a couple of loggers on, um, a couple of saison, including the illumination that you're drinking right now. We have an amber lager, um, we have a pale lager that we're really excited about, and then we'll have uh, Ben just started recently brewing a pale ale or IPA. Yep, we have uh, an IPA in the tank. Um, a brew and a pale ale tomorrow. And then we also have a, a grisette style saison. So just like a, a little low alcohol, uh, tons of wheat and rye. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're kind of thinking, uh, you know, all three of the spheres that we're trying to hit equally <laughs> when we open. So yeah. two lagers, two farmhouse ales, and two hoppy beers too. Nice. Nice. Um, and so are you, um, are you brewing any of the beers that you, had from enlightenment or are they just kind of an inspiration from there? Like, did you, did you completely revamp stuff? I guess is. Well, yeah. So illumination, the one you're having now, that's, that's the beer that I brewed the most with enlightenment. It's changed a lot over the years. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I was saying earlier, earlier when we were talking, it's the approach to the hopping, um, especially the quantity has changed. Mm -hmm. Um, The the yeast that I'm using changed and uh, the mash profiles changed all those things, but it's the same it's the same kind of goal for what we want to say with the beer. Um, and we'll definitely be making more enlightenment beers as well. Uh, like we don't really have the time right now to start doing mixed ferment, but we, we have the grisette in the tank. My goal is to brew another batch of illumination and then start mixing that culture up. Keep the, uh, the, uh, Cezanne yeast we're using for that. Start introducing some Brett and some other bugs and then start making, uh, mixed ferment saisons again, which is most of what Enlightenment was. Okay. Um, I, we, we love those beers. We love to brew them. We love to yeah. drink them. Um, and then also start bottling them and, and conditioning them and everything. So mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. yeah, we're looking forward to it. We, we just haven't been able to right out of the gate yet. In terms of the, in the food side. So we're certainly going to open with, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to, we're going to open with a little bit more of a limited menu just because we, we don't, we're not sure uh, how many folks are going to be feeling comfortable going out and we don't want to waste a lot of food, um, but we're going to lean pretty heavily into the Fritz program. Uh, we're going <laughs> to, <laughs> yes, I see that thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> we love Fritz. Oh my God. So, yes. yes. So Belgian style Fritz, um, you know, some spicy, some spicy type of Fritz, different kinds of dips. Uh, we're sauce people. Mm-hmm. love sauces uh so oh, my wife's of, gonna love that oh good and uh, <laughs> like oven baked treats uh we're also kind of digging in a little bit into uh, some of the uh eastern european food that's in my family's background 
so pierogi, some uh, some borscht, um, doing a couple of salads and sandwiches as well. So we kind of have that nice rounded out. So you're not just drowning in fried food. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's that's our goal for for opening and being able to have that. We're probably going to keep it a little smaller than we initially. So the menu we put together was about twelve to fifteen items, and just because everything's still kind of crazy right now, we're not totally sure what's going to happen. I think we're probably going to start with a slightly smaller menu and then yeah. expand it as we go. Um, yeah. Food just, trust is hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> and we are still super excited about having a coffee program, uh, espresso potentially being able to have an espresso machine that might be on hold for just a little bit, but mm-hmm. we both really love coffee. Uh, we can't live without coffee, especially with our beer. There is nothing nicer than having a shot of espresso in a beer. Oh, yeah. One of the things we're, we're excited about, like as a, uh, you're saying like future things that we're, we're hoping to do um, is the first pills that we're going to do is a, uh, is a, a Polish lager, uh, kind of a, a Czech pills with some Polish shops. Uh, like like a, Jivitz kind of thing. Yeah. (laughs) Nice work, Dave. (laughs) I ran a specialty beer store for a few years. And one of the things that I had was Jivitz and Baltica and like all those crazy uh, European beers. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Well, Mm -hmm. we're planning on doing one out of the, uh, not out of the gate, but um, who knows? We might even brew it next week. But uh, yeah, that'll be our first pills I think we're going to put out. um, Named after uh, her grandmother. Nice. Nice. And if we can trick her into it, we will get her to come and help us with the brew day too. Nice. Very nice. Oh man, that would be, that would just blow my mind to have my grandma at a brew day. <laughs> um, English, so it, it's going to be interesting. Oh, she doesn't. So like, yeah. wow, nice. Um, one, uh, one thing that I'm hearing, like with all the different beers that you're making uh, the the brewer in me is thinking yeast management. How yeah. are, how are you doing that right now? Well, you're gonna write our brew schedule for us, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Wasn't that the deal? I'll work for beer. Yeah. Uh, so the and the free. goal I kind of saw is to be kind of get a whole bunch of churns out of my pale ale. Like always have a pale ale or an IPA going. Mm-hmm. Always, basically every two weeks, have a new lager going on, and then to kind of do a spurt of saison so um i got my saison yeast i brewed a saison i'll get another churn out of it and then i think i'm going to dedicate one tank and then make that the saison tank um and rather than being harvesting and and storing if i have to and and, and pitching uh, basically using a mixed ferment tank um the way i used to at enlightenment and just kind of going in and out of that mm-hmm. um and then and you have a t- 10 barrel system seven seven okay yeah, yeah. So one thing we're, we're, the way that we designed it, um, which we feel very lucky that we've been able to kind of cram in that little space is we have four seven barrel uh, fermenters and four seven barrel horizontal brights. And so we kind of have, we have a schedule built into the lager. It'll all depend on how much people actually want to consume it. Um, but of pretty much brewing a lager every two weeks and being able to allow all the lagers to spend three weeks in the bright tank after two weeks in the primary. Um, mm-hmm. And if, Again, if people consume them at the rate that we'd like them to, um, we should be able to keep that schedule going and then pretty much have two tanks available for hoppy beer or uh, anything else we might want to do. So lagers every two weeks, just turn around, turn around, um, and then pale ales or a stout or or another Saison if we wanted to, and there's other two tanks, and then always having a Saison or mixed ferment beer gone. 
Nice. That's the goal. We'll see. It might all fall apart real fast. But. <laughs> yeah, well, only one way to find out, right? So speaking of opening, you know, obviously with things the way that they are now, it's not just like the, hey, everybody come swamp us and like, you know, make us sell out of beer and food so that we're happy people. Um, you know, with the pandemic happening, things are going to be different. And while it's still exciting that you're one able to open and that you are opening and that you've made it through this through this waiting period, maybe let people know like what precautions are you going to be taking? How are you going? What is, what is your approach going to be to sure. opening so that people have a good peace of mind to come totally. Uh, we are going to seal every person that walks through our door in double layers of saran wrap. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's my uh, thing. One tiny little hole that we poke through for a straw for drinking beer out of. Mm-hmm. Then we will grind the food together and make it into a milkshake. Um, <laughs> I think you're on, you're on the forefront of things. You're, <laughs> you're a trailblazers for sure. We've uh, dug deep into YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> you got to watch when you put uh, double saran wrap and small holes. Uh, if you're going to put that into YouTube, you got to be ready for what you're going to get back. Hey, buy the ticket, take the ride. <laughs> I like you guys. Um, sweet. Um, uh, but for real. Oh, okay. Uh, we're doing, we're, we're trying to do all the things that we can do. Uh, I first and foremost really want to make sure our employees are protected. I think that they are putting themselves out there in a way that, you know, not everyone has to. Yeah. Myself, it's a frontline uh, job for sure. A hundred percent. Like myself, um, you know, I work another job right now and I get to do that from home and I've been able to do that for a long time. So we really want to make sure our employees are protected. And uh, I've been scouring the internet obsessively for the best types of masks for those folks. What, you know, how comfortable they are, how lightweight they are, you know, how well they protect them, all those kinds of things. So we, we plan on following the guidelines that were released by uh, Washington State. Um, so we want our employees to feel safe with masks, with gloves, with ample access to hand sanitizer. Uh, you know, price gougers be damned on the internet if you're listening uh, <laughs> for the hand sanitizer folks out there. And uh, having uh, access to um, hand washing stations, having guests have access to both hand sanitizers. The, we have our bathroom set up with soap, as you would expect. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Groundbreaking. Thomas Stones. We're just but, uh, Thomas we Stones. decided to use soap. So. We've already spaced <laughs> pumice stones. That's what funny rocks you use for exfoliating. I heard moon dust works really well. <laughs> moon dust. Yeah. That sounds like a yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, I think what else are we gonna do? Uh, lots of sanitation. I've looked into a ton of different kinds of sanitizers for making sure that the tables and the chairs and all of that is kind of getting sanitized. You, you know, we held off on buying things like uh, couches and um, a couple of love seats that we wanted to have in this space because I couldn't figure out how to really clean those very well in between guests. And it promotes people being very close. Totally, they sit right next to each other. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, um, that. So. Part, part of the space has been rearranged absolutely for that. Um, 
And I'm still trying to figure out exactly what we want to do in terms of um, making sure everybody's kind of doing their wellness checks before they come into work that day. Um, making sure that Ben and I are pretty much going to be there constantly. We're going to help manage the flow of the space. We're going to make sure it doesn't get too overcrowded. We're going to support our staff in feeling comfortable um, in any situations that might arise where uh, perhaps somebody is giving them some, any kind of pains around the precautions that we're taking. I was just going to say you should be prepared for that as, you know, I mean, I work with the public and my wife, Stephanie, works at the co-op. Yeah. You got to be prepared for pushback. Right. And I firmly, I firmly believe the, you know, wearing masks protects you and you wearing masks protects me. And, and that's the type of space we kind of want to create. And I'm going to support our staff in making sure that the environment they're working in is as safe as possible, as well as for any guest that comes in that they feel like uh, they're, they're eating and drinking in a comfortable space. We're super lucky that we have a ton of windows. And so we're able to have um, a good amount of ventilation in the space. Mm-hmm. It's not a huge space either. So we've been able to spread out the tables. There's never going to be that many people in there, especially in the beginning between the two floors. And then we have a tiny little patio where I can put two little tables outside. Yeah. I'm really excited to see how Bellingham expands on the like sidewalk and street seating. Mm-hmm. That that I think could be really great. Um, we could put a couple more spots outside, but basically, um, just pretty meticulous sanitation and and helping manage uh, crowd crowd control. Right. Yeah. With crowd control, I, I was wondering about your outside ability because, you know, I mean, with people being excited to get out and you being brand new, mm-hmm. you, you could get swamped and. Uh, you know, that would be great, but also stressful. Um, but I was just, I mean, what I was envisioning with your space, because your main bar is upstairs, but you have uh, the breweries downstairs. And then there's some, there's some bar, uh, like standing room areas and maybe a table or two downstairs as well. Correct. A couple of tables. Couple of tables. And, yeah. I think one I mean, thing we got to think about a little bit more is being that busy. Mostly Ben and I are just what? No, don't. Just being terrified of anyone coming in. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, then no one's going to come in. We're so we haven't really out. thought about what's going to happen if lots of people come in. So we got, we do, we do need to think about that a little bit more, but um, part of that is developing a pretty good to go beer program. So we mm-hmm. want to make sure that, you know, we, we uh, stocked up on a lot more glass for our growler program that we initially expected. Yes. We're preparing the kitchen for a lot more packaging of food than we expected. Uh, and we would like to be able to offer people um, that option as well, whether they feel if they're not comfortable coming in because it's just not the right time for them or whether the place is just full and they still want to try the beer, then that's a great option. Yeah. Uh, the beer nerds will yeah. come. I think we're just, we're, you're totally right. One of the other things we were thinking about was maybe like a reservation system or something, Yeah. but we just don't, we really have no idea what it's going to look like. Not only do we not have a baseline for what our business was operating at before, because there was no before time, um, but now we're in this new time. Brave new world, yeah. It's going to be a day-to-day adjustment. Um, And I think the the nice thing is, is we can expand the hours that we're open up to the limit of uh, whatever, you know, what, Washington state regulations are, but we're going to start with slightly more conservative hours, I think. 
And if there's a lot of excitement and interest from the community, then we can expand those hours and give people more opportunity to come in. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Well, um, let's take a little break and then, uh, and then we'll come back and do all the, the, the fun, dumb questions that, uh, So again, I don't know if you've listened to this podcast before, but uh, this is just kind of the where we get to dig a, a little bit into where what uh, what turns you on beer wise, you know, and, and ingredient wise and stuff like that and some other things. So do you guys remember the first beer that you ever had? Yeah, uh, like. Like when I ever. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was 15 at Polish summer camp in Poland and the choice was beer or vodka. <laughs> and I think I want I, to do a whole podcast on this. <laughs> <laughs> you have to make a beer called Polish summer camp, by the way. <laughs> I was trying to tell Ben about it the other day and I was like, yeah. And there was like, horseback riding but it was bareback it's kind of weird <laughs> your logger coming up polish summer camp <laughs> um, i think it was just a light polish logger that i drank when i was 15 and i think uh there was a long time after that before i thought about beer again my my dad used to give me little sips of uh coors banquet they love Coors. Mm -hmm. I thought it was appalling. I didn't know, understand why anyone would want to drink something that was bitter and had that alcohol flavor. Right. And then when I was 19, I had a Budweiser, the first of many, when I was playing with a, a band. And my friend was like, oh, do you want a beer? We all drink. And I was like, I'll have a beer. And uh, yeah, that was the first time I got drunk. So yeah, Budweiser, Bud Heavy. Yeah. yeah. How are you, how about me? Um, it was probably Coors, like the original Coors. Um, that was what was in the fridge. I grew up in Texas, but I mean, this would have been like the late seventies, you know, early eighties. So there was no good beer around. <laughs> um, what was, uh, so the original conceit of this podcast was, um, the flipping of the switch, like what was, and this is more geared towards brewers, but it doesn't really matter. Like what's the beer that made you that flip that switch where you're like, either I need to know how to do that or I'm never going backwards and drinking anything less than this from this point forward. I feel like I've had a couple of like paradigm shifting beers having harpoon ipa for the first time was like mm. holy shit beer yeah. gets like flowers and all of the what is this yeah i love that beer oh god so good um having a having terrace bulba for the first time I, i've been brewing professionally for about four years but which which beer was it terrace bulba from uh brasserie de la seine okay it was just I, I couldn't believe that someone had made a beer that tasted like that and i had to know how to make it Mm -hmm. uh, that's what got me into wanting to go to Europe so badly. Nice. Uh, yeah. Oh God. Terrace Bulba. Oof. <laughs> These are both really bitter beers, but 
What about you, babe? Um, you know, I think, I think it was boundary based Scotch ale. <laughs> that is the one that I remember drinking and feeling like I get it now. Like what, what year would this have been? 2009, maybe earlier. Um, I think 2008. Yeah. Boundary based Scotch ale. And I drank that beer and I was like, you know, this has a bunch of different flavors I've never had and I mm-hmm. like it. Yeah. I want to keep drinking it. Um, and it's strong as shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it is worth my money. I think that was one of them. I would say another beer was Allagash White. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, to this day, cannot get enough Allagash White into my body. When we, when we land in Boston, when we go back to visit our friends and family, um, I get an Allagash White. When we are at the airport about to leave, I sneak one more Allagash White. <laughs> that is a fantastic beer. It's- it really is. It, it's one of the few, in my, it, in, in my humble opinion, it's one of the few American versions of the Belgian wit that doesn't overdo the spices. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. I try to think of. Do you want to? I, I got to add one more paradigm shift. It's yeah. So hoich toy toy toy. But what <laughs> what changed my my life about saison was uh, having a a year after he had opened having um, an Anna from Hill Farmstead um, going up. Uh, I had known Sean when he was trying to start the place because he was friends with Will. He had just gotten back from uh, Denmark and he was just like pestering Will with all these questions. And I was like, who is this weirdo? And <laughs> then a year, he opened up and like a year later, we went up there for the first time and I got one of his saisons, Anna. And I just, I had never had anything like it. Like I had only known Saison DuPont and then like a bunch of Americans making um, Saison DuPontish beers. And nothing against Saison DuPont. I love that beer. Oh, it's but one of I my favorites. Had- yeah. Oh, great. But I had never yeah. had Brett Cezanne before. I had never had something. Um, and it wasn't It wasn't overwhelming or anything. I was just like, this beer is like five-dimensional. What the hell is going on? How is there so much? And I, I just, and then I spent the next several years of my life trying to learn how to make beer like that. Like Nice. That, well, that beer, oh. God. You and I will, you and I will have conversations. Because, um, yeah, it sounds like, I've never had the Hill Farmstead Anna, but it sounds like kind of Cezanne DuPont like crashes into Orval, you know, so you get that yeah. bread, that bready, you know, kind of thing going. It, yeah. It's, it's just so, oh. yeah. I've got one more. Okay. Uh, the CBC Heather ale. It is a Gruet. Yeah. And at that point, you know, I had sour beers. I had had barley, all these lager beers. And then I had a Gruet and I just, I just loved it. I love the softness of it. I love the herbal characters of it. I thought that this was such an interesting style too. It was such an old world style that so many, so few people actually make. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of led me to fall in love with beers from Propolis. Um, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And just, just the idea of putting like the wild natural world outside of us, like all of the plants and um, you know, like parts of the trees and like all these things that you can, infuse those flavors into the beer i i just think it's so beautiful we have made will uh will myers at cbc promise that when he comes to visit that we'll brew a heather ale together out here nice so. nice yeah i'd like to meet that guy he sounds like 
pretty, pretty interesting guy. Um, so this might segue right perfectly into this. What, what's your favorite beer? Uh, I guess Ben first, like to brew, what's your favorite beer to brew? I love brewing Cezanne. I love brewing lager beer. I love brewing pale ale and IPA. Uh, gun to my head, maybe Cezanne. I don't know why. Brewing Cezanne is so much fun. Uh, yeah. Maybe not even necessarily like the brew day, but just the whole, like when making Cezanne, it's, there's so much, uh, the, the idea at the end, like, like all the different parts of it, the, the kind of wacky fermentation to it, the bottle conditioning, all the Cezanne, knowing that I have this like special thing that's in a bottle that's, you, I don't like the idea of things being unique back to batch because we strive for consistency and perfection, but at the same time, there's something about doing mixed ferment Cezanne that I don't know. There's something beautiful about different batches of that being different. Um, yeah. And just in the name alone, it is Cezanne, you know, each, I mean, historically they were all, you know, there was no consistency. And what I like the idea of say, cause I'm a big Cezanne fan as well. Um, I like the idea of kind of capturing time in a bottle, you know, like, sure. mm-hmm. like that. kind of thing. Yeah, really so, okay. Answer Cezanne. All right. Cezanne. And so I guess um, I'll let uh, Carolina go first on this. What's your favorite beer to drink? Ooh, trick question. Oh, no. uh, all in my, my favorite beer to drink. I think I really love uh, either a hoppy Cezanne or a Belgian pale. I think I, especially when they're, they're crisp, they're dry. They've got that nice kind of hot character to them, but they're light. Uh, I think those are just fantastic beers that you can drink any time of the year. I spent a long time. I think uh, every time we went to like a, a brewery or beer bar, I would look at the menu and I look at the list and I'd be like searching for that Belgian pale. Uh, it's not easy to find. Mm-mm. No. And sometimes I'd ask Ben, I'd just look at him. I'd be like, which one is like a Belgian pale? And he just kind of shrug his shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This triple IPA, it's probably going to be about as close as you can get. <laughs> so Ben, what's your favorite beer to drink? Uh, beers that I can drink three or four of and still want more. Um, and that's, you know, a great hell or a great pills. Um, a great little pale ale, uh, a great Cezanne. I, in the last couple of years of my life, especially after uh, living in Europe, I definitely gravitated very heavily towards lager. Um, mm-hmm. I love the taste of beer, and I love just cool, crisp refreshment. Like, that's – yeah, so I drink a lot of lager. Um, working at Wayfinder uh, was an incredibly spoiling event because we had yeah. Ellis and Pills, check Pills on – hundred percent of the time. And I just, I never want anything else. Like we yeah. make lots of other beers, but I was like, no, no pills, pills, pills. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we didn't really cover that. That was uh, wayfinder is, is down in Portland. And uh, that was something that uh, that was, that was where you worked while you were there. Yeah. Correct. Now, did you have that job before you came from the East coast or did you land no. and be like, Hey, it, it was very weird. I, um, I came, it came out here, uh, on in mid 2017 and I spent six months trying to find a job, um, that felt right. And, uh, I, I worked somewhere else very briefly 
And then eventually that I talked with, I had talked with Kevin when I was first looking for a job. This, um, being, this being Kevin Davey, correct? Kevin Davey, yes, sorry. Yep. Um, I, I talked to uh, him. Mo- most, of, most of our listeners will know who Kevin Davey is. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a legend around here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had met him maybe like a couple weeks after they had opened. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know. I was just like looking for breweries in the city. I was like, what's this Wayfinder? I never heard of that place. And I went in there just thinking, like, okay, they've got four beers on. And I had their Hellas. And it was just like, wh- where am I? Like, what yeah. on? This is so good. And I had I stayed and I had three of them. And then eventually met Kevin and gave him my resume. He's like, yeah, I'm not hiring. Uh, I was like, okay. And um, so I worked somewhere else with some really nice people. And it just didn't end up being a great fit. Mm-hmm. And right when I was leaving there, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I had decided that I was going to leave. And then I encountered Kevin at the Oregon Beer Awards. He was really drunk. And <laughs> I was pretty drunk. And I was just like, hey, man, like, how are you doing? Congratulations on this and that. And he's like, blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, I still have your resume. I'm going to be hiring. And I was like, oh, uh, well, I am soon to be out of a job. So I, I'd love to talk to you. Um and it didn't end up working there for another month and a half or something like that. But anyways, it was, it was an awesome, awesome experience. I remember when Ben came home from going to Wayfinder for the first time and he was like on cloud nine. It was so lovely that he ended up working at the place in Portland where he loved drinking the beer the most. Yeah. My favorite beer in the whole city. Yeah. Like, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Fortuitous. Fortuitous. If it could have worked for Upright, that would have been... Oh yeah, like that upright. Would. Yeah, I love upright. So. <laughs> I, lo- I okay, love. Beer. Everyone else in Portland is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, most of them are still around when all this, when all the dust clears. Yeah. I hope so too. Yeah. Um, so this is one of my favorite questions. What's your guilty pleasure drinking wise? Oh, so easy. And it could be anything. Let's go. Uh, Bloody Marys. Yeah. Spice. Spicy um, uh, mezcal margaritas. Why do you feel guilty about that? I'm not guilty at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I said it was too easy. I was <laughs> love, love a good Bloody Mary. The pickles yeah. in it, the salt. I feel like I became an adult when I started drinking Bloody Marys. Nice. Uh, all right. So, yeah, margaritas. Yeah. Uh, I don't feel guilty about loving Bloody Marys or margaritas. Um, we drink a lot of those. Um, I, I, I don't feel guilty, but sometimes I feel like I should feel guilty. I love drinking Coors Banquet and yep. I love hams. I didn't think I was going to love hams as mm. much as you. Oh yeah. Fizzy oh. alcohol pop. You gotta love it. When I, I gotta say, uh, well, um, I went to the GABF for the first time this year and, uh, we had awesome beers from all over the country. The best beer I had the whole time was we went to Golden and we went to a bar across from Coors and I had a fresh pitcher of Coors. Hands down, the best beer that I had. I would love to try it s- straight from the tap. I mean, like I, I went to the Heineken when we were in Amsterdam, I went to Heineken and I was like, I knew that this beer could be good. I knew that it could. It is. And, uh, it, it is. It is good. I, I don't want to drink it over here, but... No, when I feel I'm there. Like Amstel, Amstel over there was just like, oh my God, this is good. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be. I get it. <laughs> but I've got to say though, 
that that was one of the other things that really opened my eyes living in Europe is that there would be these uh, craft beer bars in like Copenhagen that would be like, oh, we've got Victory Hop Devil and we've got all these beers. And I would have them and I was like, is this a year old? Is this what you think American beer is? Oh my God. Yeah. And they were really excited about it. Yeah. Um, but even if we, we had the same experience drinking their beers. Like mm-hmm. it's sitting on a ship for six months is. Uh, well, yeah. Great. So Ben, I know you've, you've, do you have a brewing hero or a favorite brewery? And I know you've mentioned Will a bunch of times, which normally if you mention Will in this town, it's another Will, but. Yes, but. well, uh, <laughs> wonderful as well. Uh, yeah. Will, Will Myers is absolutely, has been a mentor to me um, and, and a really dear friend as well. Um, don't ever tell this other guy that I said this, but uh, Sean Hill has definitely been a hero of mine, just in mm-hmm. terms of his approach to beer, uh, with the beers he introduced me to um, and how thoughtful he is about beer and the way that he just changed the way that so many people I know thought about beer. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely Sean Hill um, for sure. And yeah. then uh, Yvonne, uh, Yvonne debates over Brasserie de la Seine too, like just the way he thinks about beer and the beers he's made just, Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> want to be back there right now damn it let's go yeah what about you carolina uh yeah i think i think there's a lot of breweries that i really look up to and that i love what they create i mentioned propolis brewing uh i love their ethos i love the their approach to beer i think paul arney down in bend uh with ale apothecary we were super lucky he's such a nice guy he showed us around a couple of years ago, I think when he was first kicking off Ale Apothecary. Mm-hmm. And I loved what he said when he was like, you know, I spent all these years learning how to control everything that's going on in, in my beer and like learning everything about it. And he's like, and I don't want to know anymore. He's like, I want the magic to happen. I know that like these incredible things are ha- going to happen in this beer while I'm making it. And he's like, and I just don't want to know anymore. And he has this, have you been down there? Uh, yes, but the last time that we were down in Bend was right after the big fire happened. So okay. he had had to vacate. And so we weren't able to do that. We were going to go in early May down to Bend again, um, uh, but nope. Another disaster happened. And then, uh, yeah, another disaster happened. And, uh, and I was just talking to Jorgensen because he and Paul did a, a collab together just mm-hmm. pretty, pretty recently. Well, relatively recently. So I've never met the guy. I've only had a handful of his beers, but I would love to go down and and chat with him. It was it was a while ago, but I'd love to see how his whole operation has kind of like changed and shifted. But that was really wonderful to see somebody's like progression through their career and how they came back to this like incredibly artistic point where they just they wanted um, this process to produce. Uh, the, the beer itself without having that kind of a higher level, maybe like control or knowledge of it, even though he has it. And I think the one other place is Dodola. And Dodola won because my God, like what beer, like the Boscoon. Mm-hmm. I saw that. I saw that uh, sign in your place today and I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Boscoon changes lives. Like, yeah, that place is insane. Yeah, 
like it is it is the creation of the inner workings of someone's mind and they put it out there with their art and the space and like there's like a million chairs and they're all like it is so beautiful to see somebody put all of their artistic creativity out not just in the beer but on the labels the types of beer they make the space that they create it's so bizarre uh, and boss and uh Didol's just played a pretty big role in our lives <laughs> yeah we, we, we drank a lot of Boston right there remember that remember that painting like collage painting he had up that had like the Boeing plane yeah it, it was it, it had the World Trade Center and it had 9-11 and it had all this other crazy stuff and then it had a picture of his passport oh, yeah. part of the collage and a letter from uh the U.S. Was it Boeing? I think it was Boeing. It was Boeing. It was a cease and desist, I believe, <laughs> saying you are not allowed to, to rename your delivery van Boeing 747. <laughs> There's something to that effect. And it was all like one big, weird, beautiful uh, painting that he had made and collage. It was a collage. And we're just sitting there just like drinking Boscoon, like looking at this madness. It was, uh, yeah, yeah, going there is a trip. That's great. Yeah. You know, you guys are the first people that I'm going to ask this in this time. Um, it's a question that I normally ask, but it kind of has a little more gravity now, uh, pun intended. <clears throat> um, where do you see the brewing industry in the next five years? I think what we're seeing is things becoming a lot more hyper-local that focus on different styles, creative projects, uh, different kind of niches throughout the beer industry. Mm -hmm. I think there was a time where you could, you know, kind of create a large portfolio and have a, a big program um, and kind of have a little bit of something for everything. And those, I think that space is, is pretty, is full. I think there's a lot of great breweries that excel really well at that. And, um, as people's palates also um, kind of like change and as their own interests change and as the industry evolves, they're going to want to seek out places that are doing something um, very specifically, whether it's a particular style or a flavor profile or it's a type of atmosphere that they're creating. So I see a lot of specialization uh, and I see it being pretty hyper local. And I think those are the places that are going to be really interesting what I really hope we don't lose in all of that is some of the breweries that we've all grown up with and absolutely love uh, these larger regional breweries. You know, I, I adore Deschutes. Uh, Me too. I, I think the Black Butte Porter continues to be one of my favorite beers. I patterned my, my Porter off of Black Butte. That was the starting point was the Black Butte Porter. It's just, it's fantastic. And those places, you know, they stand for something. And when you look at the brewing traditions and histories in other countries, uh, you see that they haven't, um, what's, what's the saying? It's like killing your fathers or something. <laughs> yeah. That's, we, the, that's the sound bite. <laughs> well, it, it, feel, it feels that way. It, it feels. I, and I hope I we don't, don't to... and I hope we don't do that. Like, I hope we don't consume um, consume our, our parents, so to speak, in order for us to succeed, because I think there's a lot to continue to celebrate about the regional breweries that created craft beer and that made it the thing that it is today. Absolutely. I, I think I agree. I think that the that the 
the bigger boys have their their place, but that smaller is better. I think it's just for where the industry is going, if you're just pushed by purely the like market forces, it's so much harder to be a chuck and up right now. Yeah. It is almost impossible to be like a Deschutes right now. And so where does that leave you? That leaves you with hyper-local, uh, specialized um, craft that you're creating for your community. I, I got to say, just to tie into this a little bit, one of the things, not to be too negative, but one of the things that's really dismayed me about American craft beer in the past couple of years is the, the scorn that people seem to heap on what have become larger regional breweries. Yeah, we all, well, I didn't because I was on the East Coast, but I used to say, we all drank Deschutes 10 years ago. On the East Coast, we all drank Sam Adams and Harpoon and mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Smutty Nose. Mm -hmm. And now, like, people who are, not, not everyone, not even all that many people. I, I've had many conversations since returning from Europe with people who are like, Sam Adams, ugh, why would you drink that? Can't wait till they go out of business. And, like, that type of attitude towards Sam and Harpoon and places that have kind of gone out of business, like Smutty Nose. And I hear that mm -hmm. here about Deschutes, like, oh yeah, why would I drink that when I can drink this little local thing? And I totally get that. We are, we want to be that little local thing. And, and, and those are beers that I absolutely adore. I love the fact that there are many, increasingly so little regional breweries just making their beer and putting it over the counter. But the idea that it seems to be viewed as a zero sum game, it, it really bums me out. Like, you know, I, I can go get a six pack of Harpoon IPA when I'm on the road somewhere in New England and also go visit a little brewery and get my beer over the counter. It, it doesn't have to be one or the other. And I, yeah, it puts me out that people have, it seems to go that way sometimes. Right. Exactly. And you know, we're, we're in a unique position to where we are so familiar with beer. We're like hyper familiar with different breweries and what they represent and what exactly their ethos is and what they do. Um, yeah, you know, to me, it's kind of, yeah, I, I don't have much tolerance for that. Like, oh, I can't wait until they go out of business. It's like, well, that's kind of a dick move. But I equate it to, I, I understand where the sentiment is coming from. It's like your favorite local band all of a sudden blows up and makes yeah. it big. And you're like, I don't like them anymore. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well, they're still making the same style of music that, yeah. You liked then you just don't like them because they're popular now because they're you know they're making money I, I i think that's a toxic idea yeah i i think like what you like and like it because you you care about it like who, yeah. who cares at what level of success they're at and if they're popular then great because that means that other people found something to like about it too and they will inspire others People's tastes have changed and styles have changed too, but it doesn't like one of the things I like most about having a Harpoon IPA is it tastes nothing like what IPA is now. Like it is brilliantly filtered clear. It is very bitter. It is floral and malty. And like it, it yeah, that crystal malt that I was talking about earlier, yeah. <laughs> but only a little bit, only a little bit. Oh, it, I know. No, I love Harpoon IPA. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's such a beautiful beer. And it's, it, it's, it's balanced in a totally different way than I would make an IPA nowadays. Like I, yeah. I would never make a beer like that because it's not necessarily what I enjoy drinking the most now or right. the way that it's been 10 years since I've had one. Yeah. But it's always nice to have one when I'm in Boston and yeah. you have, I get it. We we've moved on. We we've, we've, 
developed the styles and pushed them in different ways and done different things with them. But I don't know, maybe this is just people growing up. It, it bums me out that because we like new things, we don't like the old thing anymore. And uh, I don't know, I still like it. It shouldn't have to be that way. Like I still drink a Manny's. That was the first beer I ever had. Uh, no, that's not true. What? Wait a minute. First, <laughs> Contradiction. First, first beer like I ever had. Yeah, you're on record. Yeah. <laughs> it's on the record. Uh, in Bellingham is I would like drink a Manny's and I'd be like, oh, I'm such a badass. I drink Manny's now, you know? And yeah. like, it tastes like, uh, it, it tastes like, it's still, it's a great beer and it reminds me. It's a great me beer. Of, yeah. Of, for lack of a better way of saying it, of being a young person, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> of my youth, my, my I, I still youth. drink Sierra Nevada pale ale. Like it's going oh. out of style. You didn't ask this question, but you're going to get the answer anyway. <laughs> okay. My favorite beer, not that I have a favorite beer, my favorite beer to buy every year is Celebration. Oh, I, yeah. There's nothing I look forward to more than Celebration. <laughs> <laughs> I have a standing order at the co-op. Steph works at the co-op. <laughs> I have a standing order, like, they don't even call me anymore. <laughs> two two beers every year. I want two cases of Celebration when it comes out, and I want a case of North Coast Old Stock. Um, Can we have a Celebration party this year? Yes. Can we, a keg yeah. of Celebration? And, and that's another one. Is like I thought. Oh, I want to make a beer like Celebration. No. No, I just I just want to buy celebration. Exactly, I know. I tried I tried for a while to uh, to make a celebration, and I came close, but it was never quite right. And I was just like, "Why am I wasting my time with this? Like, I'd rather spend the twenty five bucks and get a case of it and brew what I want to brew, you know? Mm-hmm. And just like they do that, that's 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 what they do, and they're great at it. Something that I would love to see come back. Uh, is also like Hefeweizens and wit beers. Mm. Like I think there's something currently in in the in the culture that is so uncool about drinking a Hefeweizen, mm. and they are like uh, they are just fantastic beers. We made a uh, at CBC. We made. Um, oh my god! A Hefeweizen, creatively enough named. CBC Hefeweizen. CBC Hefeweizen. But it was a Bavarian style. It just had that, it it was the only beer everybody on staff wanted to drink all summer. Mm -hmm. And it has its place. And I think it's a fantastic style of beer. And if you go to Germany and you drink it fresh, it's another one of those experiences of having your mind blown. Where Mm -hmm. you're like, I cannot believe this beer tastes this way. And like granted, you you probably can't drink too many of them because they they often do feel a little bit like heavier beers. but that's something that I would love to see have a little bit of uh, maybe more investment in, into making that beer. James yeah. makes great wit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. His wit is great. Nice. Yep. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, and the beautiful thing, I think the most beautiful thing about uh, Hefeweizen is as far as food pairing goes, it goes with everything. Like it's just, it works with at all. What I had the thought a couple months ago that you never see, you don't see too many Dunkelweizens. You know, you might see oh, a Weizen, yeah. but you don't see any Dunkelweizens. And so I've got a Dunkelweizen um, sitting in my in my crawl space right now. So once I put that on tap, I will bring you some. Thank you very much. I'm going <laughs> to hold you to it. Because I'd never brewed a Dunkelweizen before. I was like, not only can you not find them because no one brews them, I haven't brewed them. And I've been brewing for... <laughs> uh, 
a long time. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, all right. So we're, so we're getting into the wrapping it up phase here. Um, these are kind of the rapid fire ones. What is your favorite grain? Don't choke. Uh, Everybody chokes. Rye or Pilsner malt. Yeah, rye. I like that. Yeah, right. I love green with rye. Yeah. Um, what about hot? Chinook. Yeah, Chinook. Well, old Pike. I used to work at Pike and everything was Chinook, like grapefruity, like bitter. Just um, beautiful hot. Yeah, it is. And it's super versatile, too. Um, yeast. Ooh. Oh, I don't know. Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I have a, a definitive answer for that. Right. Which is a fair answer. Yeah. The CBC house yeast is my favorite yeast. Oh, yeah. It's, what is that? Do you know? So uh, the, the story is that um, they used to, like 25 years ago, use the Whitbread strain. And then, and I think it was like a dry or something like that, like dry Whitbread. Well, it came in a brick and you had to shave it off. That's okay. what big. That's what big time down in Seattle uses as well, or it did and, use. And they, they couldn't get it. They were told they wouldn't get it anymore, so they had it isolated. They, they didn't have it isolated from that. They had it isolated from like Den Ten or something, because that's all they had. And that became that's the story I heard years ago. Right. And that's become the CBC house yeast, and uh, it classic classic it, English strain. Yeah. It attenuates like a bugger. Yeah. Locks bright when you want it to, um, and it can go up to like thirteen percent, like no problem. I'm glad we got the term flock in. I'm always sad if there's, if one of these happens where the term flock doesn't happen. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Do you have a favorite? I like brewing with Conan. I don't know. Yeah. It's a bitch to brew with, but. Yeah. I've never brewed with it. It seems like it's a little kind of a finicky little bitch, but. um, Finicky. Yeah. It doesn't like being stored. It just did. Die. <laughs> it doesn't it changes so much but it, it, there's something very pleasurable about working with something that's like so stubborn it's, yeah anyways i don't have a good answer all right fair enough that's that's an answer in and of itself so this is a question that i ripped off from uh, a now defunct podcast called the dinner party download which was one of my favorites um and this is for both of you but uh tell us something that we don't know and it can be anything, like personal, piece of trivia. Just tell us something that we don't know. The Danes are a happy people with an incredibly high tax rate who don't actually complain about paying their taxes and uh, social democracy works. (laughs) (laughs) That's... I would argue that that's something that people should know, but especially in America, people don't know. That. I'm just saying it's it's real. Like, oh, absolutely it's not. Yeah, it's not. They actually do care about each other and care about their neighbors, even people they don't know. They actually right. believe. That's what I got. That's, you got something that everybody already knows. They don't know that. They don't just, know that. No, I would say nobody knows that. Yeah. You just package that as your own knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. All right, put me on the spot. Um, something that people don't know. 
you know, something people might not know is that all jazz isn't bad. (laughs) (laughs) This is a big development for you. It is. It's been many years of being forced to listen to a lot of jazz. There's a lot of bad (laughs) jazz. If you listen to NPR jazz, you're listening to a lot of bad jazz. Oh, totally. One of us in this house loves jazz. One of us in this house. (laughs) So I would just, I would like everybody out there to know that there's actually good jazz out there and um, you can give it a try. You might choose some enhancements to your experience. Whatever. (laughs) Might work. Beer definitely definitely work. Maybe maybe other lands beers would would be a good other lands beers work. Accoutrement. do you have a recommended jazz album, Ben, for the beginner jazz hater? Oh, jazz at Newport. Ellington at Newport. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jazz for the hesitant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ellington at Newport, just put the whole thing on and, like, have a couple beers or pack a bowl and just sit down and, yeah. Yeah. Be good. Nice. Nice. I like it. All right. Well, uh, just a couple of uh, questions to wrap it up. Um, any advice for people who want to be where you are right now? Oh. Don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a common, a common answer. Yeah. Like, oh. uh, carefully consider uh, whether or not you want to warp your life. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Take out a big bank loan. Um, Especially with crazy unknowns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I... Think, think carefully about it. Uh, yeah. I guess I've had this visual of uh, this whole process and I've tried to kind of remember it. And I just, I visualize us um, hiking and climbing a mountain. I think hiking is a pretty great metaphor because you reach a peak and you think you're there and you're not, and you turn around and the peak is further away. Some other ridge. Yeah you're on the, you're exhausted. Your legs don't work. Like your heart doesn't like everything is falling apart, but you have to keep going because you can't stop. Like you can't set up camp in that spot. It doesn't exist. You're on a shale, like rock wall face. You have to keep going. And with this entire process, every, so many of the steps have felt like an impossibility. Like when we, I would, so I would just say like, look at it as every single step is going to get you there and your path is going to be entirely different from anybody else's. We consulted with so many of our friends who have started a business or uh, we ingratiated ourselves somehow with other people who had started a business and forced them to talk to us over beers about what it was like. Um, And they had great advice, but at the end, like our path looks very different from everybody else's. Sure. And you just, if you want to do it, you have to keep doing it and then realize that there's going to be, um, that it really, really sucks. Like a lot of the time, like it is not there. There was a, who's, who's a David Chang that does the like Momo Fuko podcast. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I could be totally wrong, but I feel like there was an interview with him or someone else recently. And they said like, you know, opening a business is an incredibly difficult and lonely experience and it sucks like a ton of the time. And, um, I think that is something to just recognize. And when you're in it, recognize that it's going to get better. 
and you just have to keep going. Um, and that sounds like a platitude and not at all helpful. <laughs> I, we agreed that we would do this because I, for many reasons, like I've always wanted to do this again and, and to open mm-hmm. and to have this type of business and this be a part of, of what I'm doing with my life. But we, a big part of our compromise of our lives is also moving out here and being closer to Carolina's family and being on the West coast. And we decided kind of in the abstract that we would do this. I, I don't think anything has ever made us closer other than doing this. Like, I don't think there's anyone Absolutely. Yeah. gets it. Like she's the only one who understands what's going on that in a weird way. I can't communicate. Even my friends who've started businesses, I can't communicate like how this feels, what it's like. She's the only one who gets it. And, uh, she's the only it's one a, I trust. So it's, yeah, it's a cumulative effect and only you two are absorbing every single part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're going to do it, find someone that you feel this way about <laughs> like, and you can't, you can't uh, cut your ties and cut it yourself. Well, easily. Huge yeah. <laughs> oh, for practical advice, that's true. We got, we also got married last year. So that was, uh, oh. it's kind of been one thing after the other. We, we got married while we, we signed our lease for the space up here. We got our, we finished, we finally found financing for the project and then we got married all within about two months. Um, so it's just been, <laughs> it's been go, go, go. But I think practically something our friend said, like we, we didn't, own, we don't own a house. Um, we don't have careers that were particularly lucrative. I worked in nonprofits. Ben's been a brewer for 15 years. So that, that says enough, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And we found enough people that believed in us and chipped in a little bit at a time. And then we took the practical advice of our friend who started his business on the East coast. And he was like, go to as many banks as you can. Just keep going to banks. And, Different you, banks. and you, you have to find a champion, an internal champion in that bank who believes in you and your business and that you know what to do. And that's what happened for us. We went to 10, 10 different places um, we, you know, and each, each place like promised us, like, of course we're interested in mm-hmm. all the things we gave them all the paperwork. We did all the right steps. Yeah. And the answer was always, you know, you don't have, you don't have enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would just say, don't let that stop you because financing always feels like the most insurmountable task. Uh, you just have to find the right spot. Until you get to construction. And then you get to construction and then you realize that is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. (laughs) That's so comforting considering uh, our outbuilding is going to be starting on Wednesday. Go for it. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's happening for sure. Um, Well, Ben and Carolina, thank you so much for joining us. And this is going to be, this is going to be one of the more epic, uh, epic Uh episodes for many reasons. Um, but is there anything that I missed that you'd like to add? We're really excited to invite people inside mm-hmm. and to get sure. to know, and to get to know our neighborhood better and to get to know this community better and to get to be a part of it. And I hope people will give us some good feedback and <laughs> tell us what they hate and what they like. And uh, yeah, I, I just hope we can be a part of the community the way that we've we've been dreaming of for a while. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I hope so too. And being a Sunnylander, uh, I am very excited. And so you are Otherlands Beer. 
And you are located on Humboldt, but I don't know the exact address. What is the exact address? 2121. Right next to uh, right next to um, Home Skillet, yep, right around the corner from Twin Sisters, down the street from Culshin. Like, you'll get there. You'll find it. Yeah, it's there. All right. Well, um, thanks again so much, and especially for doing it in kind of this weird way. And uh, oh, I'll try and make you sound good and smart and uh, like we were in a studio. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for for chatting with us today Dave. it's been absolutely lovely and for sharing beers and your thoughts thank you for this double yeah yeah, yeah yeah absolutely thanks for uh thanks for the beer that uh well this is this isn't the beer anymore because i drank all of your beer so i'm feeling pretty good um, looking forward to seeing you in real life i know yeah exactly all right well cheers you all what a great time I'm super stoked for them to be open mere blocks from my house and to partake and imbibe of their offerings. Keep an ear open for the big opening day. Otherlandsbeer.com will have all of the pertinent information or just swing by 2121 Humboldt and see what's what. They're hoping to be open in another week or two. Fingers crossed. Thanks for sticking with me and continuing to want and to listen to these. I'm hoping to keep things rolling with more virtual chats and maybe a surprise or two. As always, reach me at Dave at TapTrail.com or on Facebook at the Tapped in Beercast page, or for the time being, still on Instagram at Tapped in Beercast and be a part of next episode's discussion. Anything goes. Beer questions, money advice, how many licks does it take to get to the center of Tootsie Pop? Whatever. It's a conversation after all, not a lecture. And of course, don't forget to rate and give us all the stars on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your rambling content. And hey, if you take the time to review us, make sure I know, and I'll read your review during the mini-casts. Okay? Okay. I'll talk to you later. Stay safe, stay responsible, don't be a jerk, and make sure that what you're reading and want to believe is actually true. And for Carolina's grandma... Nazdrophy.